Hello and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Slip Cork Fishing for Inshore Slams. I'm going to be talking with Captain Chris Osman of Fine Catch Fishing Charters out of the Little River, South Carolina area. We're going to be covering such areas as how to make the rig, and then we're going to be talking about fishing different depths, locating fish in a large slash new area, and best baits to float. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest efforts, the podcast series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined every week by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy. What's going on, Gary? Are you ready for another podcast? Dude, I'm ready, especially with this guest. I mean, he, he gets a little wild. We're going to keep him on track, but I'm pretty excited to, to have Chris on the show. And uh, yeah, man, it's going to be a good time. He's super knowledgeable, and I know that because he's on our fishing reports every week. So <laughs> He is. I he's, know. He's, he's a good communicator. He's very great wealth of knowledge, so I'm excited about that. Uh, also excited about our new sponsorship relationship with our new friends over at SRD20. So I'm going to jump over here, and let's talk about this, these guys for a little bit. They reached out to us, said, hey, we want to be on the show, and so they sent us some products. We have the uh, graph- graphene spray protectant, and then we also have the wash and wax, waterless wash and wax. You can go to srd20.com to learn more about those. Um, unless Gary, Gary, you know a little bit about those, I believe you're, you're a cleaning chemical expert. Is that correct? I am not a cleaning <laughs> chemical expert, but I am definitely the target market of our new sponsor because their motto is it shouldn't be hard work. And I can tell you that as much as I love my boat, I don't love all the processes of the involved wax job and the involved upkeep. And so a product such as this sponsor is presenting is right up my alley because it is while it is tempting to do a simple bleach wash, that is not ideal for the boat. So I'm glad to have this new product that it isn't hard work, but yet it is producing results. So they're not a chemical expert, but I am their target market. You are the target, Gary, and this is what your boat looks like when it's getting sprayed by these. That's a, <laughs> so you get perspective of your boat. <laughs> so they sent us a few bottles. Uh, super excited about that. So you guys go check them out, srd20.com. <laughs> did you like that, Gary? You like that? I did, man. There you go. There you go. It's that good camera work I learned in college. Thanks, Mom. Uh, all right. Now, our next sponsor is our longest-running sponsor. We really appreciate these guys. Uh, partner, really. Not even a sponsor, but partner of the show, Marine Warehouse Center. Got a quick message from them. We'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything from trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. All right, you heard it. They want you out there with them. They do. They really do. I mean, those guys are certainly in business. 
and in business to make money, but that isn't a problem, especially with how they go about their business, which is, again, being part of the fishing and boating community, enjoying the fishing and boating community themselves, and uh, very happy, as you say, very happy to have them. I like your I like your wordsmanship there, partnering perhaps even more than sponsoring. Man. Good for Marine Warehouse, man. Love those guys. Yeah, man. Absolutely appreciate them. They've been, yeah, like I said, partners of the show and you know, I, I, what I love about it is more than just the episodes, but it's really our opportunity to chase Emmett around the world and have people send in pictures of Emmett because he's been traveling a lot lately. And so, Gary, you're never going to believe, you're never going to guess. I'm going to give you a couple hints, but you're never going to guess what he's been out doing this week. So I'm this, never going to guess. Even with a couple of hints, I'll never guess. You'll never guess. Challenge accepted. All right, here we go. Where in the world is Emmett? And the first, I got it written down here, the first hint I'm going to give you is he is at a sporting event that has been around for over 200 years. That was actually two hints in one. I I mean, I gave you a freebie. A sporting event that has been around for 200 years. Yeah. States or abroad? In the States. States. Uh, golf. He's golfing. Nope. All right, I'm gonna give you one more hint. This is the official sport of Texas. If you can't guess this, then I don't know what to tell you. Football. Nope. Not oh. football. He rodeo. rodeo. Oh, there we go. Ding ding. That ding. was a. Bu- I don't know. I think I tied. I don't know. I, no, I think I already said too bad, Gary. Too bad. You lost. <laughs> as my as my four year old says, like you lost. You lost. <laughs> anyway. Well, I'm glad to see Emma getting out there, man. That guy works yeah. hard, just like all those guys. I'm glad he gets away to Texas and takes in a rodeo bull ride or whatever that was. Yeah. Man, good for him. I can tell he's a smart guy because all genius people throughout history wear the same clothes all the time. And he does, so I really appreciate it. Man, I'm a genius too then. Right on. Yeah, and me too. Wait, wait till I tell my wife. Wait till she hears <laughs> that she's married to a genius. Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you what is genius, Gary, is uh, this next photo I got right here. This guy, Doug, he's a genius. Doug Hood of Supply with a 26-inch red drum that fell for a live finger mullet while fishing in the Lockwood Folly River. So good-looking fish. Beautiful sunset behind him. I mean, I don't know. I was going to say, man, I'm looking at the sunset. I'm looking at green grass. I'm looking at calm waters. I'm looking at a blue shirt. Man, good photo. I, I like a good fish photo. Yeah, man, it's a good one. So we appreciate those guys. And he probably listens to our fishing reports, which Chris is on every week. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Gary. Nice little softball pass here for you to talk I'll take about it. that for a second. I'll take that. Fisherman's Post now offering weekly inshore, nearshore fishing reports. You sign up at fishermanspost.com underneath member content. There is a fee. Again, the newspaper is still free. The website still does fishing reports every month. But if you want more, more often than weekly fishing reports, again, fishermanspost.com member content. We're talking to 11 captains every week from all up and down the North Carolina coast, inshore, nearshore, bait, species specific, inside advice, experiences. Check it out. Well done, man. You read that teleprompter just like I put it on there. Good job. (laughs) 
not really but anyway oh man yeah man great it's great it's it's a lot of you know it's a, it's a lot of fun it's a lot of work for everyone involved but it's a ton of fun and it's uh it's nice to hear what's going on and get that now information so it's really good and it it kind of plays to Fisherman's Post in relationships, man. I mean, now that we're talking with these guys every week, man, they have become friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that shines through in the fishing reports. I mean, I think the the fondness we have for them, the connections we've built on, you know, even before this project, but certainly since this project started, it's part of what I enjoy. And I think it's what people yeah. have already signed up and been checking them out all summer enjoy. Yeah, man, your free fishing trips have went up 50% this year. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Gary's been on more captain's boats up 50% since this project. <laughs> no, I mean, funny thing is, hey, it's not a joke. What are you talking about? No, this is Again, genius. Perhaps there is some genius to this guy who wears the same shirt often. Not all the time, but often. No, that's but not right the same now, shirt, man. Your shirt has holes in it. We all know that. Like That's a <laughs> fake shirt. <laughs> that's for well, sure. <laughs> well, this this one doesn't actually. This is a new addition to the rotation. But enough about me and my wardrobe. Billy's best takeaway is what I'm going to finish this conversation with. Billy's best takeaway at the conclusion of my conversation with Captain Chris Osman. So right now, I will introduce Captain Chris Osman, fine catch fishing charters out of Little River, South Carolina, slip cork fishing for inshore slams. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Gary? It's going good, man. Happy to have you here. Happy to have you in the podcast studio, not the weekly fishing report studio. But even with the relationship we've developed over this season doing weekly inshore, nearshore fishing reports, you do not get to move forward without the standard two questions. You tell me you're ready. I give you question number one. Hit me. Question number one. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about any? of the inshore species, inshore slam species, or even a slip cork rig for that matter? Because it's been tested and proven. Um, and all the guys that know me up there in Little River, if they don't see a cork on the top of my boat ready to go, I must be sick. But it's a great way to find fish and it is a great way to catch fish. And it's a fun way too. I mean, when you're a kid and you start bobber fishing, and to get to do it again and catch real big fish, I, I, it just hits a spot in my my heart for it. Well, uh, all right. I'm going to move on to question number two. And I'm, oh, I'm rereading my question number two that I put together, I think, a, a week or so ago when we first thought we were going to do this podcast. And I, I'm actually feeling like I might have been a little lazy on this one. And um, because what I did is I played off of Oz and Osman but it's not Oz, it's Osman. But I said, Oz, all right, I'm going to give you a couple of trivia questions in reference to the Wizard of Oz. Are you ready for Wizard of Oz questions? Let's do it. Question number one, what was the Cowardly Lion's costume made out of? What was it made out of? Yeah. The Cowardly Uh, Lion's costume. Lion's costume. Oh, God. It wasn't made out of, like, the feathers from the flying monkeys or something like that? No, I mean, it was made out of a real lion skin and hair. That's why I uh, kept emphasizing lion. The lion costume was uh, made out of real lion skin and hair. And now the next question is even harder. 
You got any idea? You don't. Any idea how much did that lion costume weigh? The cowardly lion's lion costume. How much did it weigh? You can tell by how I'm asking it was a lot. It probably weighed about 120 pounds. Man, that is a good guess. It was actually 90 pounds, but man, you know, 90, 120, I guess there's a difference there. But man, if you're over 90, if you're at or over 90, like that is... It don't matter. It's heavy. That's heavy. But enough about yeah. Lions, enough about Oz. And again, I'm talking to Osman, not Osman. But let's talk about slip cork fishing for inshore slams. And I like your approach to this show. It all starts with the rig. Before we can talk about species specific, anything, please give me an in-depth explanation of that slip cork rig, what you have found to be most effective. So that's probably the biggest question I always get when we talk about slip cork fishing. And the first thing they want to know is how do you make it? So real simple. I normally start off with getting about <clears throat> 25 to 30 pound monofilament and what I end up doing is I do about two arms length stretch it across so you get about 12 feet and the reason behind that is there is this little bobber stop which I'll show you in a minute that slides up on that mono and if you have a heavier mono like that it keeps it in place. It doesn't slip as much. If you have a thinner mono, they do make bobber stops that go on thinner line, but it just happened to be that I like the way it slides on the mono versus your braid or on a thinner piece of mono. But 25 to 30 has been what I've kind of stuck with. And the first thing you want to do is you want to tie that, that leader, that 30, 25 pound leader to your braid. If you're using braid on your line, on your reel. So normally what I end up doing is you can do a uni knot. If you don't know how to do a uni knot, it's easy to look it up. Look it up online. It, if I did it on the camera right here, you'd never see it. But um, there's a couple other knots that are pretty good too. You want a, a fairly small knot that kind of slides up and down the guides because that knot's going to run you back up on your spool there. So like the FG knot's a good one too. And um, you can use a blood knot, Albright knot. But um, I prefer to use the uni. So once you get that line tied on there, what you're going to do is you got this little bobber stop. And it's real hard to see. I can try to put up to the camera right there. Yeah, we can see it. So there's a little metal ring that comes with this piece right here. You slide your line, the end of your line, through that little metal ring, pinch it over, and then slide that bobber stop that rubber piece up onto your main line and that'll slide up top here and then what you do is next you grab a little bead take that bead something that won't go over that bobber stop right there the hole on there then what you do is you get your cork could be any kind of cork i mean most important with the cork whatever size cork judges how much weight you put on this so the bigger the cork, the bigger the weight you're going to put. The lighter, smaller the cork, the lighter the weight you're going to put on there. Once you get the cork on there, then you got another decent-sized bead to go in between the weight. It's almost a buffer between the cork and your sinker right here. And then you slide another one to go right there, right before your swivel. Tie your swivel on there, and that is your main part of the actual slip cork rig up top. Once you get past the swivel there, of course, you're going to tie a leader 
that goes to a treble hook was normally what I end up doing. But I normally use about a 15-pound fluorocarbon leader from my swivel to my hook. Right there, there's a treble hook. Depending on what size baits I'm using, uh, we'll judge how big the treble hook I'm using. If I'm using big shrimp or big mullet, it's normally going to be like a number four. If I'm using real small baits, little, little mud minnows or smaller shrimp, it's going to be a six. And the one secret that, I don't know if it's really a secret, but I've told people, um, I always like gold hooks. This one's kind of old, so you can't tell. But the gold hooks always seem to produce more fish for me. I've put them side by side by a bronze hook, silver hook, and the gold one just outfishes it every time. But that is basically the gifs of that slip cork rig. Uh, of course, you can tie like your regular uni knots or fisherman's knot to get on these piece right here. But um, for this size cork right here, I think they label this one as like a, a one and a half size cork. But I have a three quarter ounce weight on this one right here that runs about either three three quarters or um, five eighths is normally what I'll use for that. There's those big uh, Billy Bob sinker ones, the ones that are two colored, multicolored. If I use the, the medium size one on that, I tend to use like a one ounce weight, which if the heavier the weight you go, will help you in faster currents. We'll get to that a little bit later too, but the heavier weights will keep that bait down while the current's moving as well. Okay, so the three eighths is that your probably your best recommendation for an, an all around? And I understand about the cork, and I understand about the water that we'll talk, the speed of the water that we'll talk about later. I'm just thinking, you know, my average listener viewer, you know, was probably just like to tie one or a couple on, and you know, at least using it as a multi purpose to start, and then figure out if they need to upgrade. Three eighths is where you'd have them start. I'd start at a half. At a half. Yeah. And then I, that floor yeah. That floral leader, what was I seeing? Like 12, 16 inches long? Is does that matter much? Uh I will tell you this. The longer the leader, the quicker you gotta be on the draw. The shorter the leader, I feel like you get a easier hook set because you gotta figure if this fish he takes his hook and it's out here and it gets away, you gotta make up that time. So if you're not fast on the draw, like if you're not paying attention to your cork going under and quick to flip your bail and, you know, retrieve it, I would go a little bit shorter. I mean, you could probably even do this like half this length right here. We'll, we'll call it like, I wouldn't go any shorter about four or five inches and I wouldn't go any longer than about 12. Okay. All right, man. Uh, I mean, that was a pretty detailed explanation of the rig. That was exactly what I was hoping you would do. Um, Anything else to mention about the rig, like mistakes people make when they're tying it or places to really focus on? Because if you get that wrong, it can throw it off. Um, probably more or less using it when you're drifting the rig. You know, you're letting that line come off the bale and you have your bale off your spool and the bale's open. So the best way to do is like hand positioning wise, you really want to have one hand kind of sitting right there where the bale is and your other hand on the handle and kind of keeping the rod tip down low in the water, especially if there's any wind, you definitely want to keep your rod tip down low so the line doesn't bow out on you because you got to figure you're going to get some slack in your line and 
the faster you can retrieve that slack and get tight on that fish, the better the hook set's going to be. So it's always to be ready to flip that bail and just start reeling. And then when you feel that fish, just kind of lift up on the rod. There's no setting the hook with a treble hook like that. It's literally you reel until you feel it tight and just lift up. That's it. Okay, so the pitfalls come with fish in the rig. There aren't really many pitfalls to tie in the rig. Again, you follow your instructions. There isn't a, a part of that process that people trip up. It shouldn't. Um, yeah, as long as you got the right beads on there, I mean – yeah, as long as you kind of go step by step, put the beads in between the weights there. And actually, putting the beads on there does make a little bit of a clacking noise, too, that, you know, guys would use for popping corks as well. So you can kind of use it both ways. But the only thing I can see is eventually what will happen is that little rubber bead right there from moving it up and down the line, it will wear out over time. So if you got a rig for a couple of weeks or something like that and you notice that, the sinker is pulling on it too hard and it's starting to move on you. It's probably getting worn out. You need to replace it. Okay. Well, let's go to, and I, I love what you put in the show notes, locating fish in a large and or new area because, you know, I, I know that people, they want to know where the fish are probably more than anything else. Like, where do I go? Where do I go? But again, you got to search, you got to seek. And so how do you use, how do you employ this slip rig to do exactly what your show notes say to figure out a new area or a large area to find a fish. So a lot of the fishing we do is in the intercoastal waterway there, which is a huge long stretch of water. Um, a lot of areas are kind of scattered shell flats and there's a lot of areas along that bank where those fish can be hiding. And instead of working up and down that bank casting, you can kind of set up in whatever zone you want to be in, whatever depth you want to be in, and set your cork to, you know, maybe mid-water column. And depending on how much line you have on your spool, I mean, I've sent them to the bottom of the spool before. I've drifted them 150 yards down the bank. And not to say if you drift it down 100 yards, you're going to catch that fish, but if you get hit and you know it was a good fish, like rips it right under, no playing around with it, you can readjust yourself and move closer to that spot and get in within range where it's more feasible for you to actually hook that bitch. Okay. So is that perhaps the most ideal application of this slip cork rig, you know, for our purposes, which is down a grass line, down a bank and just letting it, you know, I guess hug as close as it can to that bank. So you can fish it many different areas as well. I mean, you could go right up along the bank and run it shallow, depending on how deep the water is there. Or what I always tell people, if you're not catching them at a certain, like, I start from my bottom and I work the way up. So whatever the depth is, I set my cork about a foot off the bottom or maybe a little less. I drift it. I'll do about four or five drifts. If I don't get bit, first thing I do, I move it up in the water column. Move it up about a foot or two or about mid-water column, whatever the depth is. And then I send it down that way. The only time I really run it super shallow, if it's deeper, is if I see fish busting on top and I know they're feeding on mullet moving around the top. But for the most part, you can cover large areas down the bank, but you can also cover a large zone of water in the water column as well as you're drifting down the banks. And you can cover any kind of bank. Like, let's say you got two grass flats, and you want to get, you know, 
by one, there's an oyster mound. You can't even, let's say you can't even get the boat over this one mound. Say it's too shallow. You could drift a cork over there and get to a place where you're not, you can't even get to. Okay. So what was I just thinking? I, so if we're set up and on your boat, I'm guessing ideally we're just sort of dropping the rig into the water. We're not even casting. We're just going to just sort of drop it down and let it pull away from the boat. Again, we'll, maybe we'll ask you a little bit more about the description about the finger and you know making sure we're keeping the rod tip down. But I'm guessing there are some times where you do are asked to cast or the clients asked to cast. And it seems like, man, that's a pretty bulky rig. Like what advice do you give people or what instructions do you give them when they are making something of a cast to make sure it doesn't loop over or foul on the cast? And so when it lands, it's clean and gives you the drift you want. So for the most part, that, that bead will go all the way up through the guides, that little rubber piece. So really the only piece you're actually casting is going to be this little section right here, kind of just like if it was a popping cork. So as you cast it, what I always tell people is I always try to palm my spool and slow it down that way. So it slowly slows it down and that weight will come out in front of the cork instead of behind it, which causes it to wrap. So as long as that weight hits the water first, you should be good where that the hook won't wrap around or the weight won't wrap around. It's almost nice to like slow it down and almost stop it before it hits the water just to kind of stretch the rig out as it hits the water. And then the idea is once it hits the water is to let it drift unobstructed just to have your finger over the spool but with the bail open and then sort of somewhat control the line going off or – or how, again, how, I'm sh I know you have people on your boat on a regular basis that have never done it before. So what's your standard instruction? So if we are casting it like that, what I end up telling them to do is cast it. And depending on how the currents go, and sometimes I'll have them feed the line out and let that cork just drift naturally. I don't want it to be any kind of restriction when they're drifting it. I just want it to naturally go down the current right there. So sometimes I'll have them feed it out, but if I see a bow good in the line, I will tell them, hey, close your bail for a second, reel it up tight, and then reopen it and let it drift back down again. That way you can kind of eliminate some of that bow in the line and get you a little tighter uh, line as you're drifting down. But if you're drifting it straight off the boat, for the most part, all you got to do is just keep that rod tip down low. And if the current's not running real strong, you might have to feed it out. But if you get any kind of bow in the line and you know it's going to mess you up, it's best to probably close it real tight and then start all over again and kind of reopen it and let it drift from there. And then, you again, you, I'm asking you to repeat yourself, but you know, I, I, I just want to repeat it here. Um, again, and walk me through one more time the instructions you give someone on your boat when they get a bite. The bobber goes under. And you've told them in advance, you don't wait for the bobber to go under to give them the instructions. You are telling them on the boat that when the bobber goes under, what happens? So as they're drifting the corks, I'm watching them all the time as well. So I normally, first one, I'm telling them it's under. But um, they see it go under. The first thing I tell them to do is not to reel. You got to close the bail first. As soon as that cork goes under, you close the bail, then start reeling. You reel until you feel resistance. You feel that fish on there resistance-wise. Then just lift up on the rod, and then you should be good to go. I mean, that treble hooks, if they're sharp, I mean, the ones I use are sharp. So 
uh, once you get tight on them, I mean, you're good to go. You should have just enough drag, and you don't want to be too heavy on a drag, too, because those treble hooks can rip out if you have too much drag on them. But uh, as long as you come tight to that fish as you're reeling the slack up and then lift up on the rod, that little bit of lifting up on the rod will bury those treble hooks into that fish. You don't want to yank it because it'll rip it out of his mouth. But that little bit of extra, like, pulling up on there will be all it needs. What do you think is the, on your boat, what do you think is the, the bigger culprit for missing a fish? Is it too much bow in the line or is it pulling the hook too firmly, say, ripping it out of the fish? Um, it's probably looking at their cell phone and not pay attention to the corks. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I would say the bow in the line. The bow in the line, I've seen a lot of people miss fish with that bow in the line. But um, yeah. That's probably it. I know some people get a little hard on them when they're trying to rip, you know, crank it and set the hook on them. I mean, you'll probably miss at least 75% of the fish you try to set the hook on and yank it out of their mouth. I mean, it's that bad. But um, the bow will, you won't even get to that point at that point. Uh, they're going to either spit it out or they're going to drop it or it, they're going to be gone if you yeah, got that much bow. All right. So this podcast is going to be released in September or maybe it's late August. I, I, I didn't look at my notes before the show started. What I'm getting at is, you know, our title is slip cork fishing for inshore slams. I know there's going to be repetition. I know there's going to be, you know, some duplicity, but let's go through the species and tell me one, you know, your, the favorite couple of bait options. I don't want just one bait option, but I want a couple of bait options for fall fishing and I guess we'll just go through. I mean, I'm guessing you're talking, you know, red drum, trout, and flounder. Want to do them in that order? Yeah, we could do it in that order. And then in addition to the bait options, you know, maybe a little bit more on the scenario, the environment, the geography that, you know, you most look for when targeting that one, mostly targeting that one species of the inshore slam. So what do you got for me for red drum first bait options? So bait options on a redfish, I typically like to use finger mullet if I'm specifically targeting them. Um, you can catch them on shrimp. You can catch them on little peanut pogies as well. But when I'm slip cork fishing and trying to cover a large piece of area for redfish, it's normally down our intercoastal waterways where you get multiple schools that are scattered down along the bank. And what I end up doing is a lot of times I, my first choice is going to be a finger mullet because that's what's normally running down that bank. I'll set my corks, and a lot of these fish can be anywhere from five, it could be like six to like 12 inches of water right up on the bank. You can see their backs out of the water sometimes. But what you can do is you set your slip cork almost about all the way so it's not going anywhere. It's like pinned to the swivel. And you throw it up there and just free line, just feed it out there and let it just go down that bank with that finger mullet. And let it keep going, going, going until you basically can't see that cork anymore. Once you get that far, you can't see it, reel back in, try a little bit further out. Maybe make it a little deeper. Send it down the bank again. I mean, there's a lot of times that I'll do it multiple zones on that bank to see if they're feeding up shallow, which normally they're going to be as shallow as they can be when they're feeding. And then kind of moving when they're a little bit deeper. But um, I will switch it up sometimes. I'll even use some mud minnows as well that's normally more of a spring thing but the finger mullet definitely is number one choice in the fall um 
you can use the peanut pogies as well. The little trash fish on the bank don't mess with them as much. But it's just you match the hatch. That's that's what they're eating on those banks. You can get the shrimp in there too, but your croakers and stuff will normally tear it apart before your redfish can actually get to it. Okay, on the finger mullet with a treble hook, what's the best way to hook a finger mullet with your treble hook on the slipcork rig? So I normally go through the bottom lip and out the top. I always tell people you want to hook them basically right about the front of the eyeballs and through the head there. You want it to be just like even with the eyeballs. You don't want to go past the eyeballs because you'll brain them and they'll kill them. But just right on the front of the eyeballs and up, that's just enough meat to keep that treble hook on him and he won't fall off for you. And you got enough, you got two other hooks exposed for when that redfish bites it. Okay, now same question, same scenario with trout. And again, we're focused more on like the September bite. So probably for trout, I mean, the jetties is kind of one of our favorite areas to fish there. There's some intercoastal waterway spots too, but the jetties right there, they'll be up on the rocks for the most part. And that's when you're going to get into that casting method because we're not going to be right on the rocks to just drop it in and let it drift. we got to sit off the rocks. It's too dangerous to be that close. So we're going to be, you know, 20 feet or so from the rocks, maybe a little further. And you're going to want to cast it out there. Um, normally, I start about mid-water column from whatever the depth is I'm at right there. So around, depending on what tide it is, it could be anywhere from five to six feet down. I'll, I'll set my corks or four feet down and um, kind of move it around if I'm not getting bit. But a lot of times it's probably, I'd say about five foot I'd start at and then kind of go up or down from there. And you want to use your live shrimps, probably going to be your best bait for those trout out there. You get a decent size. Um, if you're getting bigger shrimp, anything, you know, probably about that big or so, you want to use that number four. Anything smaller, you can get away with a number six. But um, casting it up there, let, there's going to be a little bit of current that moves down, depending if you're fishing the inside or outside of those rocks. Let it free drift down those little rips. And as soon as that cork goes under, if you got, you know, you might have a little bow because you're casting it out instead of just dropping it down. You just got to be quick on the draw and get ready to reel and come tight to that fish and try not to set the hook. That is the biggest thing. Try not to set that hook. And you're hooking, same question for hooking the shrimp on the treble hook. How do you, how do you instruct people to do that or, or how do you do it? So the bigger shrimp, what I'll end up doing is I'll go right underneath the horn up top. There's a little bit of a gap there. Um, the smaller ones, there's a little, you can see the, where the brain and the organs are in that shrimp. And there's a little bit of white in between it. Sometimes I'll go right there. The one thing you want to do is you don't want to hit any of the black spots on that shrimp. You hit them in the black spot there, that's just like stabbing you through the heart. So um, you're going to kill them a lot faster doing it that way. You hit the white spots, go right through, and always bring the barb all the way through the shrimp too. You'll have that little barb on the treble hook, bring it all the way through, and make sure it's locked in because I've seen it before where you don't have that barb all the way through. That shrimp will fly off as you go to cast it. And if there was a scenario where Chris Osman couldn't use shrimp on his slip cork rig for trout, and on this particular day, we just said, nope, you're going to go trout fishing. You're not going to use shrimp. Then what would you might try? Again, talking about September, October. So there's two different methods. If you want to stay with the live bait, you can use finger mullet. Um, I 
tend to use smaller finger mullet for the uh, trout out there. The bigger ones, I mean, unless you're just gator hunting for a trout, um, I normally try to use the smaller ones. But uh, you can also use artificial baits on the end of that slip cork as well. I've used the voodoo shrimp. I've used the savage shrimp. All those imitation shrimp right there. And typically with those, if you're drifting them down, occasionally I just come tight on line and give them a pop here and there to get those beads to clack on that weight. And I can use the artificial ones and do them that way too, especially in September when there's a good bit of bait moving around. Those fish get a little more aggressive as well. So I'm guessing it's a pretty light jig head if you're going the artificial route. Yeah, if you do like the, um, the voodoos, I mean, there's an eighth of an ounce on those things. Uh, the DOAs are normally as much as an eighth or a quarter ounce. Um, what I'll do is sometimes I might take away some of the weight on the rig. I might drop my weight down to something a little bit lighter because you're supplementing it for the actual artificial bait. But um, as long as that cork can stay above the water, you're good. That's that's, okay. that's the main point. You just want to get that cork to be like halfway floating in the water. All right. So following your advice, I've now hooked and landed two of the three inshore slams. And now I'm looking at you saying, man, I want to use this. I want to finish my inshore slam. I want to use this rig to catch a flounder. So a lot of the areas um, along the intercoastal and some of, some of the main channels off the intercoastal there, you have a lot of stretches where there's multiple creek mouths that come out along the bank. And with that slip cork rig, depending on which way the tide's moving, and you can kind of float down that stretch through those creek mouths and cover multiple creek mouths at one point in time. Um, the number one bait I would use would probably be finger mullet. Um, it seems to be, I mean, in the fall, we're talking September. I mean, you got mullet everywhere. That's the one thing they're probably eating more of than anything else. So I tend to start, and I know the contour line or how deep it is kind of through some of those areas. If you hit a hump or something like that, your bait might get stuck on it. But if I'm fishing 12 foot or if I'm fishing 10 foot, I got the bait probably about, eight and a half foot down if I'm fishing nine foot or so. I mean, it just it, You're going to be about six inches off the bottom. You want to be that bait is almost dragging the bottom. And that cork, instead of you pulling it back, the cork is pulling it away from you, just dragging it right up along the bottom. And what will happen is sometimes you'll get that flounder will grab that bait. And we always say, hey, when a flounder eats a live bait, you want to give him time to eat it. Don't be fast. Don't jerk it out of his mouth. But but the cork, you'll notice that it'll look like the cork snagged. The cork will stop moving, and it's like, oh, boy, I'm, I'm stuck on an oyster shell or something like that. So I always tell the people to don't go too crazy when you think you're snagged on the bottom. Reel it up real slow and see if you feel any resistance on there and just keep reeling. Don't try to yank it off the bottom because that flounder might just be sitting with it right in his mouth, and the cork is just, just kind of looking like you're snagged, but you're really snagged in a flounder's mouth is what you are. Um, right on, man. And I will guess I'll say like we covered the three inshore species. Anything else you like to target with that slip cork rig that aren't part of the top three? Well, uh, the sheep's head on the rocks sometimes would be really good. And um, the black drop, I mean, that's all bycatch. If you're using live shrimp, you'll catch them like sheep's head. You'll catch um, black drum. 
all up in the creeks using live shrimp as well. I mean, it's all bycatch, but I will say there's one fish that I've felt that I could actually catch better on the slip cork rig versus like just pitching a bait at them. You want to take a guess at it? Um, triple tail. You got it right there. Ah, triple tail. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you get on a buoy or a float and you, you can pitch it up to the point where it just stays right in his zone right there to the point where you can see him take it and go off with it. A lot of times I've had people pitch baits at triple tail and never even knew because they just swim back up with it. They never knew it was on there and they miss them. But with that cork, you can put a shrimp on there, pitch it out to him and he'll smoke it. So that's your favorite triple tail bait would be a live shrimp on the float rig. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, I think we've, uh, I think we've covered it, man. I think you've covered it extremely well, the, what, like what we undertook tonight, but I don't want to say goodbye to you without giving you one last chance. Like final thoughts on slip cork rig fishing. final thoughts on slip cork rig fishing inshore slams in September, October in the little river area. It's your floor to wrap this, wrap your podcast up. So the only thing I'd probably add to all that is if you are planning on fishing, let's say the inside of the jetties or a place with a lot of current, like I was saying with the weights on those rigs, you need to use a heavier weight. It'll keep that bait down lower. And with the current moving fast, you can actually pick up your slack without moving the cork over out of the strike zone too much. So if I'm fishing the inside of the jetties where the current can be ripping sometimes, it'll be moving really fast. I might use an ounce or maybe even an ounce and a half, and I'll use a big cork, something that I know that it just will pull it about maybe a quarter to halfway under the water. And as long as that cork is just staying halfway out of the water, you're good to go and drift it down. It'll keep you in that strike zone tight to the rocks without you pulling it off the rocks with one of the lighter baits. All right. Well, I actually lied. I got I maybe one or two more questions. Um, with all of this scenario, you're either anchored up or I'm guessing you might be using spot lock, spot lock on a trolling motor. Is that correct? Yeah. Normally we're on the spot lock on a trolling motor. Um, or if we're shallow enough, we're power pulled down and we're drifting out the bow. Is there any scenario where the boat is drifting as well as the cork rig, or is it? Are you always stationary and letting the cork cover ground? I'm letting the cork cover ground. I'm normally stationary. Um, okay, that's the whole point. I mean, instead of you drifting, the cork's doing the drifting for you. So it's if you got two drifting, it's like you're not really doing much. <laughs> I mean, I just figured I'd. Uh, I just wanted to make sure. I thought maybe someone might have that question. Man, Captain Chris Osman. Fine catch fishing charters out of the Little River, South Carolina area. This was just the conversation I was hoping to have. Um, I am a huge fan of the slip cork rig, and I've probably fished it more in your backyard, Little River area, the rocks, the ICW, than anywhere up and down the coast. But it is absolutely an effective tactic in so many places. And I think once people give it a shot, you know, they're sort of like, why did I take so long? Thank yeah, you so much a, for sharing with us as, as guess what I'm trying to say, man. I've enjoy, enjoyed thoroughly our conversation. No, I appreciate it, Gary. I'm glad to be able to show everyone how it's done and how to use it. All right. And then again, get hop on Chris Osman's boat. He'll show you in person how to use that. Now you're getting better instruction and going home with some fish in the cooler. Captain Chris, oh, yeah. look forward to our next time, whatever that next time is.
I appreciate it, Gary. Yeah, man. Billy Thorpe, now it's back to you for Billy's – excuse me, I got to itch my eye – for Billy's best takeaway. You're scratching your eye. I'm about to vomit on myself because some guy stuck in my throat right when you <laughs> said my name. But, uh, man, a lot of great information. Those slip cork rigs have, like, been pretty popular lately. A lot of conversation around them. Um, a couple of things – a couple of takeaways um, that I got. Well, actually, I'll just say this one statement. No ripping lips, no bow in the line, no cell phones equals no missed fish. So, put those cell phones. That's good. That's a good kids. takeaway. I mean, you nailed it. The the bow in the line and the ripping lips, and go ahead and throw the cell phone in there for good measure. Yeah, dude, finding fish is hard enough, but missing a fish is heartbreaking. Like that is, yeah. Especially if and you're missing under- a fish because someone's on their phone. Oh my yeah. god. Especially if you're an underprivileged fisherman like myself compared to someone like you, Gary, it's very saddening if I when I get to go <laughs> that if I miss a fish. So I wrote that down. I'm like, I will not rip some lips, even though that's pretty fun. I'll leave Billy the bass fisherman at home. So yeah, man, always a great time with, with Chris, man. He is a knowledgeable guy. So get on his boat and learn it. Let him teach you right there on the boat. It's one thing to watch him on camera. It's another thing to be in person. So it's worth the investment. And did you notice how I nailed the question he threw at me? I nailed the triple tail. You nailed it because I, I don't know. Maybe because you've done that on his boat before is my <laughs> no, guess. That's a good yeah. guess, but I haven't. <laughs> Actually, I have never caught a triple tail. I have been on the boat when a couple have been caught, but it wasn't my line. And no one handed me the line to reel it in or anything like huh. that. I mean, that's Wow. Shame I'm on I'm joking nope. myself. But I've been on the that. boat for a couple caught in the Cape Fear River, like just like you said, off of crab pot buoys. And uh, yeah, it was. that's why I got the question right. Was, all Both fish were oh. slip court rigs. It, was, it worked very effectively. Not yeah. for me, but for the other people on the boat. And whoever that was, you're never invited on one of Gary's trips. Again. Oh, yeah. They were. I caught them right off. I was like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't do that to me. You know what? Any fish that's being caught on this boat, you can hook it, but I reel it in. I mean, in the article I wrote, I caught it, but in reality, I didn't catch it. But I mean, in tie lines, I said I caught it. I said, give me that fish. I'm holding that fish. Dude, I would. Yeah, that's the only thing I can do. Hold fish. Anyway, well, Gary, appreciate you, man. And want to shout out to our sponsors again, our, our srd20.com. Go check those guys out for all your boat cleaning needs. And then if you don't have a boat to clean, go to Marine Warehouse. They'll get you one. And they also ship worldwide. So if they have something you want, be sure to reach out and they can uh, ship it to you. So, Gary, appreciate it, man. And we'll see you in the next one. Yes, sir.